the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome, welcome, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're always glad when you join us here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Alan Dempsey, as usual, he's the engineer, gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska is the producer. Rich Wilkerson, Sr., founder of Peacemakers, senior pastor of Trinity Church in Miami, author of I Choose Honor, the key to relationships, faith, and life. Whew. That's a mouthful, isn't it, Rich? How you doing? I'm doing good, Pat. Such an honor to be with you today. And, of course, uh, your uh, fame, I should say, precedes you. I've uh, read about you and known of you for many years, and it's a real honor for me to be with you today. Uh, Rich, thanks. Uh, tell me about the peacemakers that you founded. What does that mean? Um, yes, uh, we actually founded it in 1994, and it was... Uh, an urban church planting program across the United States. And uh, I got going on it, and we planted churches in predominantly African-American communities uh, in 10 different locations, and it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. We were having huge meetings, and then when the church would start, there'd be a few you know people, and it was a struggle. And I said, you know what? God's leading me to you know, build a prototype, and this opportunity opened in Miami. We lived in the Seattle area. So I moved my wife and I and four sons. My oldest one was going into seniors in high school at the time. And uh, my friend said, you're an idiot. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. We had quite a unique organization. We were traveling the world. Uh, I was on international television twice a week. We moved to Miami, Florida, uh, to the inner city, and uh, took a church that was pretty much dying on the I-95 called Trinity. Mm. About 250 Haitians, but it was perfect for what I felt the Lord had called me to do. And um, we started working with the poor, and uh, incredible opportunities opened to us. We uh, wrote a contract. It was an RFP in the Miami Herald one summer, two years after we got here, uh, for day camp uh, for eight weeks for kids that were you know, in need. And my wife wrote the, the uh, contract. She bid on it. And she It looked like a doctoral dissertation when she got done with it. Well, she won $175,000, and we had 500 uh, inner-city kids for eight weeks, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. It was crazy. But right now, as I speak to you, 17 years later, uh, we've got about 350 children downstairs in our facility, all over the building, and uh, just miracle after miracle. Since that time, Peacemakers has raised over $50 million in government contracts. Mm. No matter who's in office, we've we've won under every president since Clinton, and uh, it's just been a blessing, and uh, thousands of people actually through the years have come to faith in Christ because of it, so we're just blessed. Rich Wilkerson Sr. is with us from Miami, senior pastor of Trinity Church in Miami. Uh, Rich, uh, tell us about your new book. Um, I Choose Honor is is kind of a my life. It's kind of my the component that I chose years ago because of my father, just to be a person that looks for the good in other people, no matter where you come from, who you are what race you are, ethnic persuasion, whether you can speak English or not, doesn't matter. Uh, kind of always been that way in our home. My cousin, David Wilkerson, mm. the founder of Teen Challenge, and the author of The Cross and Switchblade, our whole family, has always been involved with people who others felt were maybe less than them. And we've just never had that approach to people. We've had uh, a pr- approach to honor. So 
I finally came to a point, you know, I just want to write about it. And uh, I think it's kind of a unique time that it came out at this time, you know, Pat, because there's such vitriol uh, in our uh, language today uh, across the country. Uh, people, sometimes I think they speak before they think, if you know what I'm saying. And um, I, I, I want to be part of the answer, part of the solution, not part of the problem. Explain that word, otter. What does that mean to you? What, it, what should it mean to us? Uh, I believe that, you know, it's obviously, it has a tendency to go hand in hand with the word respect, but respect is something that I believe that you can accomplish from a distance. You know, I respected you way before I ever met you this morning on the phone. I didn't dream that I ever get to meet Pat Williams. Um, but when I know you uh, and honor you, I, I have to honor you up close. It's not really something I do from a distance. Respect, I can respect people without even knowing them. But honor is something that happens when I'm one-on-one with people. I come in contact with so many people that uh, I know immediately aren't buying into who I am. But I always find something in that person's life that I can honor them concerning. Maybe I like their shirt. Maybe I like what they said in a recent interview. I'll always bring that up. That kind of right away levels the playing field. Uh, that person knows that I'm not there to fight with them. I'm not there to disagree with them. I'm there to find common ground. And that's not a political term, a middle ground. That's not a political term with me. That's, that's a place where I can find where I can start communication with you we can begin to develop a relationship. Then when we disagree, we can disagree agreeably and not, I hate your guts. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That, that's a, uh, that's a beautiful uh, uh, discussion. Uh, uh, let, let's dig in a little bit deeper. Uh, I choose honor. And then the second part of your book, the key to relationships, faith and life <clears throat> Uh, can you expand on um, how this key affects our faith, and, and then, of course, our life? How, how does that all tie together? Well, there were two uh, components uh, of honor that Jesus operated with, and number one, it was humility. Uh, you, you turn and you wash the feet of of peanut human beings. Uh, with you know fungus-laden toenails, mm. uh, and you you you're, you're God. You came from the uh, you know palaces of heaven to this speck of dust in space, and you humbled yourself so that you actually wash the feet of one person who you know will betray you. I'm just saying, uh, humility uh, starts everything. The second thing uh, was this component known as servant leadership. Jesus always walked in the door serving. And when you humble yourself with other people or another person, and when you seek to serve that person, it opens a door that nothing else can make that door open. I can kick that door. I can hammer that door. I can go get friends to help me knock that door down. It's not going to budge in many cases. But when I decide that I'm going to humble myself in order to serve you in some capacity, that, that's, a, uh, that, that's an act of your will, uh, and that's honor. And all of a sudden, doors begin opening in every arena of life. I've walked into doors, Pat. I never dreamed I'd get the opportunity to walk into that door. I think it all happened because... Um, at modeling Jesus, I sought somehow to humble myself and serve my fellow man or woman. My guest, and boy, he's an interesting guy. What a what a life! What a background! Uh, Rich Wilkerson, Senior. Uh, the book is called "I Choose Honor: <clears throat> The Key to Relationships, Faith, and Life." Uh, we've got another segment with Rich, <clears throat> so. Uh, Please stay with us. In the meantime, you might want to check out the most recent book I've written. It's called Character Carved in Stone. 
And it's about the 12 stone benches uh, at West Point in Trophy Point, the little park there looking out over the Hudson River. And there's a different word carved into each one of those 12 benches, words that uh, a former class at West Point uh, selected to inspire and motivate current students there and future military leaders. Uh, Go up to Amazon, a wonderful way to order books, including uh, Rich Wilkerson's book, I Choose Honor. Uh, We've got another segment with Rich, but first, these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Rich Wilkerson Sr. is our guest. Uh, His book, I Choose Honor. Uh, Rich, tell us more about David Wilkerson's life and his impact. Um, David, um, I, it was he was like my uncle, but relationally he was my cousin. Um, my grandfather was his grandfather. Uh, my father was one of the younger of 10 Wilkerson kids, and David's father, Kenneth, was the oldest uh, child uh, of my grandfather. So my uh, father was only two years older than David. They were raised as brothers, um, but he was actually Uncle John, you know, two years older than David. But they were very close friends. And uh, I, at, at this stage of my life, David was 20 years older than me. And uh, I remember as a little boy, I was actually born in West Palm Beach at the age of three. My parents moved to Nassau, my father pastored a great church in Nassau. He's only 25 years of age. And that's where my first, you know, understanding of life came in. Everybody in my world was black. There was sand, there was beaches, there was fishing so that we could eat, and there was church. And um, so when we moved here to Miami 20 years ago, my wife said, hey, <laughs> you're just repl- replacing Nassau by coming to Miami <laughs> Everything that I experienced as a little boy we have here in Miami. And um, David would come to West Palm Beach where my dad pastored. At the age of of six, uh, I moved back to West Palm Beach. A year later, my mom and dad would stay with my grandmother until we got here. And dad pastored a church in uh, West Palm Beach. And David would come down. This would be about 1960, 61, you know, right in there. David had challenge about three or four years earlier in 1958, and he was dying with um, ulcers in his stomach, and that's when we thought that milk products would soothe, you know, ulcers, and that was the worst thing you could put on an uh, ulcer. But David would be in the bedroom next to me in the midnight hours, probably 30 years old, weeping, crying, praying for New York City. I remember him bringing films that he had made. No one was making Christian films then except for Billy Graham. So David was copying him, and he was making videos of shooting galleries where guys were shooting heroin and smoking dope. And I mean, no one had ever seen this before, Pat. We're showing little churches, and people were gasping. He would show people coming free from drug addiction, you know, just the gory details. Then he would show them saved by the power of God, now on the streets preaching with him. You know, Nicky Cruz was one of them. Mm. But I would hear him pray in the midnight hours, God, give me New York City. Give me New York City. When I was 12 years of age, I went with my father to work with him in New York City for two weeks. And almost every summer as a young boy, teenager, I would go to New York for a couple of weeks and stay in the Brooklyn Teen Challenge Center and pass out literature and work with you know, drug addicts and We'd bring him in and pray with him. And so that's how I was raised around that kind of influence. And um, always felt that the Lord was calling me to follow in my dad and David's footsteps. My guest, <clears throat> Rich Wilkerson Sr., uh, describe Miami uh, to those of us who don't really know that market, that city. So a number of years ago, and this will give you a good feel, um, the Miami Herald, which most everybody gets on the Internet now. We don't get a paper dropped too much to our front doorstep. But the Miami Herald, on a Sunday morning, uh, it was probably about 15 years ago, there was a headline. I got up real early. I could do it every morning. And it said, we're number one. 
And the shot was taken from Fisher Island, which that year, Fisher Island in Dade County, was the number one most elite uh, financial place to live in America. Mm. And the shot was taken from Fisher Island, and it showed uh, the downtown skyline of Miami. That year, uh, Miami, Florida, was the number one big city in America for poverty. Mm. So here we, in the same city, had the wealthiest place to live in America and the poorest big place for the masses to be raised. And Miami, Florida is kind of framed in gold. I don't know how else to say it. Because the beach features gold and people of wealth that uh, I just can't even begin to describe the wealth that's here. And then within about two and three miles inland, it's just desperate poverty in many regions of uh, Dade County. And uh, so that's the push. That's the crush. Uh, and everybody does everything to stay away from each other. And so when we came here 20 years ago, I began to realize that we were up against a really incredible challenge. And so we were people that decided to work with the folks that were the number one poverty people in America at the time. And God has done nothing less than a miracle here. I mean, we had 258 people when we came. My oldest son uh, was sent out some years ago and pastors our church in Tacoma, Washington. My next son, Junior, that's why I'm a senior, I guess, uh, launched out of our church in 2000. In 15, uh, downtown, it's called the Vu Church. Vu is French for you. My youngest son, Taylor, a Princeton grad, started our church in Harlem three years ago. And I have a nephew who is in San Diego with our church there. And then I have a spiritual son, uh, Terrence Wilson, uh, who's been with me for 13. He launched our church. It's called Cool Church, which stands for Created Out of Love. 10 miles west of us in Broward in Miramar. And so that's what's happened in 20 years. And this past <clears> Easter <throat> Sunday, all of our churches combined, we had 17,000 people. Um, just this past week, we had our VU conference at the University of Miami. And uh, Louis Giglio, who has preached that conference before, was with us. We were uh, at dinner at the church one night after the uh, conference one night. And my wife, Robin, and he got into a conversation. I was with other leaders, and my son was kind of being mobbed. And, and so Louie peeled off with Robin for about 45 minutes. And after we went to the room, I said, what were you guys talking about? She goes, Rich, Louie's just shocked. How, how do we have such diversity here? He goes, I just can't get over the diversity. Because out of those 5,000 people, you'd have had about a, a quarter black, about a quarter Hispanic, about a quarter white, and the other quarter is just everything from the rest of the planet. I mean, it's just the most unique compilation of people, you know, Pat, that you could possibly imagine. And Louie talked to Robin about the fact, he goes, just feels a little bit like heaven in here. He's been with us on several other occasions, and we love him so much, but um, he was coming from a huge place in Atlanta to say that about our little place down here in Miami. Rich, I want to get back and dig a little bit deeper uh, into your book, uh, I Choose Honor. Uh, give our listeners some practical steps, things that they can apply on a daily basis uh, based on what you're writing here. I think it has to do with circles of honor. And I I've always endeavored to copy Jesus. Uh, Jesus had five circles. One was the Godhead, Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image. So he had a dynamic relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I believe that if we're really going to be men and women of honor, we're going to have to have an intimate relationship with God, that, that we cannot deny that. We can't reach out to God as a, as a religious gesture. We must be the guy pounding in our chest in the temple. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
think that's where the relationship with God starts every day. Paul said, I die daily. That's the first circle. Make sure your relationship with the Lord is tight. Then Jesus came, as I said, to the speck of Destin's face in the form of a, of a human, and he had a family, and he honored his family. At the age of 12, Luke chapter 2 says, they went to Jerusalem for the high feast day, come home, probably 60 in the crowd back to Nazareth. They've lost Jesus. And they run back to Jerusalem. They find him in the temple. Mary's pretty freaked out. She said, what were you thinking? He said, I was about my father's business. But the Bible then says in Luke 2.51, that he went back and obeyed his family in Nazareth. We don't hear from him for 18 years. He's yielding to authority. He's loving his family. Luke 2.52 says that he grew in stature and wisdom both with God and man. That happened within the family setting. We need to seek to heal family issues and have a tight relationship with the family. Thirdly, he developed disciples, 12 people, and learned to have relationship with humans that each one of them had a unique a victory that they brought to the table and a unique defeat that they brought to the table. By the time it was over, they mostly all denied him. But they came back. He kept loving. He loved them till the end, the Scripture said. Then he loved the outcast. Think of Mary. He cast the demons out of Mary. And history tells us that Mary Magdalene became one of the great funders of the disciples' team. Uh, an incredible blessing. He never saw people for their problems. He saw people for what they could be. So he never looked at people as lower than him. So what we would call outcasts, that's who Jesus ran to. And finally, he founded the church. He's loved the church. I think that we need to have a group of people that we're discipling and loving. I think we need to have a group that others would say are less fortunate than us, that we reach to and love. We honor up and we honor down. Nobody is better or less than any of us. We just love each other equally. And then finally, we love the church. We love his church. This church, which is such a failure path. I mean, talk about ups and downs. I mean, the Lord has faithful followers one day, and the next day they turn on him. He keeps loving them through it, loves them back. And that's a picture of all of us. And that's the way we must be with the church, his church, his bride. We're part of it. We've got to keep loving each other. I think honor is the way to accomplish that. What's next for you, uh, Rich? Do you have another book in your pipeline? I do. In fact, uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be in in three days. I'm getting an extension to the middle of July. But as you know, once it's in the publisher, it's probably a nine-month release. But my next book is with Charisma House as well, and um, it's entitled Live Forever. And this, this subtitle we've not agreed on yet, but it's about uh, establishing a legacy that lasts. And um, we're going to look at, at stories that are amazing. We teach all of our young preachers here, never go into the pulpit without your SIM card, stories, images, and metaphors. I can preach some deep message in context with the Greek and the Hebrew, and the people walk out the door remember that story I told about Marty and Kitty Lou. I mean, it's the craziest thing, but it's stories and images and metaphors that lodge in people's hearts. Jesus spoke in parables. The book that we're talking about, I Choose Honor, full of stories. And the new one, Live Forever, uh, it's just going to be stocked full with stories of people that built a legacy, not even knowing what they were doing, that ended up being positive and victorious. And so I appreciate you even asking me that. That's, that's what's coming down the pipe. Uh, it's wonderful to visit with you, Rich. Uh, uh, what do you want people to take in, oh, I don't know, uh, 30 seconds or so uh, from this book, I Choose Honor, uh, that we're talk we've talked about? Rich, what do you want people to take away? Love everybody. Don't be against people. Don't be against the the. In your mind, you have that person right now, some ex, uh, someone that's of another religion. Get the hate. Get the anger. Get the I'll never. 
Get all that stuff out and give God a chance to show you the victory in each one of those people's lives. My guest has been Rich Wilkerson Sr., founder of Peacemakers and author of I Choose Honor. Rich, a million thanks. I'm so glad that we could hook up and visit here. You're the best, Pat. Thank you so much. Uh, We've got more after this, folks. Just a reminder, uh, you're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. And stay locked to those uh, numbers on your dial uh, all day, every day, folks. Uh, Stick around. We've got more. And and again, many, many thanks to Rich Wilkerson, Sr. Rich Wilkerson, Sr., our guest in that first segment, author of I Choose Honor, Uh, We go to Southern California, and there we have discovered and found Courtney Ellis. Uh, Her book is out. It's called Uncluttered. Free your space, free your schedule, free your soul. Courtney, welcome to Central Florida. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, Why was it important to write this book? You know, this book came out of my own experiences of being so overwhelmed by clutter, I really wasn't sure what to do. And so I started to pray, and God was really gracious to show me a different, better way. Well, let's dive in. Your introduction says, I might die, but at least we can afford a second car. (laughs) Tell us what that means. Yeah. So my experience with clutter was, was similar to, I think, a lot of people's experience. It didn't happen all at once. It started to kind of creep in, and uh, it really started in earnest when my family and I, my husband, and then our one child, now we have three, speaking of clutter, um, <laughs> our, my husband and, and one child and I, we moved from Wisconsin, where we lived in this beautiful farmhouse, uh, the, the parsonage for the church to Southern California, where we lived in a two-bedroom condo, but we brought almost all of our stuff. And we realized that we, we couldn't live with as much stuff as we had, and we also started to realize that since California was so expensive, we were both working more and taking on little side jobs. So it wasn't just that our condo was cluttered, it's that our schedules were cluttered and our souls were starting to feel cluttered as well. Your, your second topic is simply called Stuff. More is more, unless it's not. <laughs> right. I think that's part of the American dream, isn't it? The, the idea that we can pursue anything we want, and often that's more and more and more possessions. But possessions aren't neutral. Every single possession we have takes time to care for, to store, to take care of, and it's almost like they need to pay rent, right? Because they, they cost us something. And so I started to realize that all of this stuff I had wasn't grace, it was burden. And when we have more than enough, we start to just really be weighed down by our possessions and not be able to follow God in the ways that He calls us to. One of the best examples I can think of is we had this little guest room uh, in the loft of our condo, and my husband and I really believe that God has called us to a ministry of hospitality. So when people come from out of town or missionaries are visiting our church or things like that, we want to offer them a soft landing place and a a room to stay in and a family and meals. But we would say, come, come and stay at our house. And then people would arrive and we'd say, oh, just a second, let us move the exercise equipment that we don't use anymore and the Christmas decorations and all of these electronics that are outdated, but we haven't gotten rid of. And even though we said, God is calling us to hospitality, our house said, you're not welcome here. Right? There's no room for you here. And so as we started to unclutter, God was really gracious in teaching us that, that less really is more, and that it isn't just about uncluttering. It's about this deep, ancient Christian practice of simplicity, that simplicity is a Christian virtue, having just enough, just what we need and not more. Uh, tell us about uh, the third topic, clothing. The one thing Mark Zuckerberg and I have in common Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, who's the founder of Facebook. Um, Mark Zuckerberg wears basically the same uniform to work every single day. And um, I did not found Facebook, uh, but I realized that there's a lot of wisdom in having a simplified wardrobe. For me, and I think for a lot of women, our closets can get out of control, can get overwhelming. And 
I realized that I was having to make tens or even a hundred decisions every morning before I even left my closet. Which pair of pants, which pair of shoes, which necklace, which earrings, and I was exhausted. And there's actually a psychological phenomenon called decision fatigue, where we start to get really, really tired the more decisions we make. And you that's why we make better decisions generally in the morning than we do late at night, because by nighttime, we've made so many decisions. We're tired and don't make really, really great decisions anymore. It's why all of the, the candy is up by the grocery store registers. By the time you get to the register, you've made so many decisions. You're like, oh, all right, I'll just have some M&Ms, too. You didn't go to the grocery store for M&Ms, but when you're tired, you make poor decisions and you start eating the candy that you don't want to be eating. So what I did with my closet was I really I really had to think about what do I actually need. And one of the things that was overwhelming to me was trying to figure out what colors go with what other colors. And so I pared down my wardrobe to just black and white and denim. So everything goes with everything else. I can basically get dressed in the dark if I need to. Um, and now I don't make a thousand decisions in the morning before I even leave the house. I make two or three and I have more energy for my kids, for my family, for my ministry, uh, and for my walk with the Lord. Uh, now, uh, Courtney, I want you to talk about new stuff. Shop, shopping, and roll. What does that mean? That's my little play on stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> Easy to remember. Um, yeah, so my, my family and I had been on this uncluttering journey for a couple of years, and we felt so much freer and lighter. There was more room in our house. There was more room in our schedules. But then slowly the, the clutter started to creep back in. That's what clutter does. It, it starts to creep back in. And I was looking around for whose fault this was, and I realized it was my fault. I was the one who was buying more stuff. I was the one who was bringing more in. And so my husband and I decided that for six months we were going to buy nothing, nothing except groceries and right things that were essential for the kids. If, if one of our sons wore out his shoes, we would buy him new shoes. But other than that, we just weren't going to shop for six months. And it helped us to retrain our habits. Um, my husband uh, loves to go to Home Depot and to pick up stuff for projects, and it forced him to really use what he already had. And I like the clearance rack as a, as a department store or at Target, and I would just pick up, oh, this shirt's just $3, so I'll, I'll, I'll get it. It's such a deal. And it forced me to rethink those habits and those patterns, and God started to really retrain us and remind us of what we actually needed and what was just a bad habit that needed to be broken. Uh, let's move to the next topic. It's called technology, electric hangover. <laughs> yeah, I think for 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 everyone right now in America, that siren song of digital technology, smartphones and tablets and computers is really hard to resist. And often with new technology, we, we adopt it before we've had a lot of time to think through is this really good for me? Is this good for my family? Is it good for my soul? And instead we just think, oh, it's the newest thing and everyone's excited about it. So I need a smartphone. I need a tablet. And slowly we start to give our life away in teaspoons. I'll just check my social media. I'll just check my email. I'll just play a couple rounds of this game. And little by little, all of our time is gone. And so we've really had to rethink as a family what, what role does digital technology play, and how can we use technology without letting it use us? So we put some pretty strict boundaries around technology in our family. Our kids are uh, six and three and eight months old, and they they only get one television show a week. It's, they really get no screen time. Instead, we read and we play outdoors, and my husband and I don't have the Internet on our phones anymore. Uh, we can only get online at an actual computer just to start to kind of pare down the role that technology has in our lives so it's a tool and not something that, that takes over. And I think that path is different for everyone. Some people need technology for work, right? I send a lot of emails when I'm at the church, uh, but I try not to send them when I'm with my kids. Um, but just to think about how is God asking us to use technology and how can it be a gift? 
rather than a burden. Because the the thing that I finally realized was I was trying to rely on my own willpower, which by the end of the day, because of decision fatigue, is, is very low. Uh, but also, there are thousands of engineers on the other side of our screens that are working to get us to click and scroll and read just one more article. And so it's not just me versus my phone. So putting some of those boundaries in place where the Internet just isn't on my phone, I don't have social media in my pocket, those things were really helpful for me. So it wasn't just me versus my phone or relying on my own willpower. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. My guest is Courtney Ellis. She's uh, uh, reaching us from Southern California. We're talking about her book, Uncluttered, uh, Free Your Space, Free Your Schedule, Free Your Soul. And uh, speaking of schedule, Courtney, that's the next topic I want you to talk about, uh, the sixth topic in the book, schedule, and then knowing no. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's really easy for us to say yes to too many things, um, especially if we're part of a church or we work in ministry. A lot of the things that we're asked to do are good things. So how do you say no to a good thing? Um, but every time we say yes to a new thing, a new project, a new event, a new volunteer opportunity, we are also saying no to the time we would have had, the, the free time or the time with family or the time with the Lord or time, you know, to, to run errands, to to get the house together at the end of the day. And so I think the key is to really begin to weigh our yeses carefully, to to sit with a decision and say, do I have time? Is God calling me to this? And really weigh those decisions and learn how to say no when we need to. One of the things that we're, we're seeing as a cultural pattern now is people say yes to so many things, and then at the last minute they pull out because they didn't really weigh that yes. They said, oh, sure, I can be there. And then 10 minutes before the event, they realize they're overwhelmed or they've double booked or they can't make it. And and so those RSVPs change at the last second, and it's making us kind of a flaky culture. And Jesus says in Scripture, let your yes be yes and your no, no. There's this idea that when we've said it, we will stick to it and we will abide by it. So sometimes for Christians, that pause can just be the request to, to pray about it. You know, I'm so excited about this opportunity to teach Sunday school. Let me pray about it. Or, oh, that birthday party sounds so great. Let me pray about it. And that buys us this pause to bring those decisions to God, who is so faithful in helping us not take on more than we can handle and follow Him in faithfulness. And sometimes when we bring those things to God in prayer— He'll really stretch us and say, you know, I want you to teach Sunday school in this season, and I know that makes you kind of nervous. You've never done it before, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. Um, or that birthday party sounds like a great thing, but look at your weekend. There's too much packed into it, and your kids are tired. Your marriage needs a little bit of time. You need a nap. Say no to that, and, and it will be okay. So bringing our schedules to God and not just not just our ties, not just our heart, but also our calendar is really key to living an uncluttered life. Uh, I want you to talk about the secret of simplicity, Courtney. Uh, God first. Uh, Fill us in. Yeah, I think our culture is so hungry for simplicity. It's one of the reasons the minimalist movement has so much traction right now, not just among Christians, but among non-Christians as well. We realize that we're overwhelmed and our lives are too busy, and we want to find another way. And I expected when I wrote Uncluttered, I thought the book would be about less, about having less, about doing less. And for a while it was. The first, probably first third of the book is about less. But slowly God started to show me that it wasn't about less. It was about allowing God to order my life so that God could give me what I really needed. And this wasn't usually more stuff or another pair of shoes. It was more peace and more hope and more joy and time to be with him, time to really look into the eyes of my husband and my kids. And and so slowly, God began to teach me that the secret of simplicity is simply putting God first and allowing God to order everything else after that. So if God is first, then suddenly you're not overburdened by trying to please everyone around you by saying yes, and you're not overburdened by trying to keep up with the neighbors with the best furniture or the trendiest clothes. Suddenly you're in tune 
with your Heavenly Father who loves you and knows what's best for you and wants your good. And there is just such freedom and joy in putting God first, and it helps every other thing in our lives and our schedules fall into place in the right line of priority. My guest is Courtney Ellis. She's the Associate Pastor for Spiritual Formation and Mission at Presbyterian Church of the Master. Uh, Her book is called Uncluttered, Free Your Space, Free Your Schedule, Free Your Soul. Uh, Courtney joins us from her home in Southern California. Uh, We've got another uh, segment with Courtney Ellis, uh, so stay with us. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, a couple of interesting areas. Uh, The Sabbath, hospitality, listening and speaking, uncluttered kids, a lot of interesting topics uh, when we come back here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Courtney Ellis is with us from Southern California, and Courtney has advertised uh, the eighth topic in your book is called Sabbath, Receiving the Gift. Uh, fill us in. One of the secrets to an uncluttered life isn't really a secret at all. It's, it's one of the most ancient teachings we have in Scripture, which is one of the Ten Commandments, that to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God has designed us to need this weekly, repeated, regular rest where we stop trying to do everything and we stop working so hard. We work hard six days. We are faithful in in the work set before us. But once a week, we really need to rest. And in this modern age of so much technology and such packed schedules, that's a really countercultural thing. Um, But we've had to learn, my husband and my kids and I, to really live into this ancient practice. And for us, my husband and I work at a church, so we do work on Sundays. Um, We tend to take Friday as that family day of rest and worship. We unplug from technology. We are not on our phones. We're not on our computers. We try to get out in nature and spend time in prayer. And it's really reordered our whole lives to have that hard reset every single week. And for most people, if you don't work for a church, Sunday is that day you, you get up and go to worship and and let that order the rest of your day. Um, but it took us a long time to really start to live into it. I think it's the one commandment, for whatever reason, most of us are fine ignoring. <laughs> we, we're on board with do not murder, and we're on board with honor your father and mother, but when it comes to Sabbath, we're like, well, I don't know. Um, but it's a command, I think, because God knew we wouldn't we wouldn't take it seriously if it was just a suggestion. Uh, it's there for, for our flourishing. Courtney, topic number nine is called hospitality, hot dogs, strangers, and you. Yeah, one of the biggest surprises in uh, my uncluttering journey was uh, relearning the gift of hospitality that so many people in our world, in our culture, in our neighborhoods are so desperately hungry for real relationship and for, uh, for depth of friendship. But when we're moving so fast, when we're so overburdened by our possessions and our schedules, it's hard to be hospitable. And I would think, gosh, I should have my neighbors over. I want to get to know them. And then I'd look around my messy house and think, oh, you know, I just, I don't have the energy to clean this up right now. I can't do it. But as we tear down our possessions, that becomes so much easier. It's easier to tidy up when you have less stuff. Um, and God's also begun teaching me that hospitality is not about a beautiful home. It's about an open heart. And if you're willing to invite your neighbors in, even when your house isn't perfect or pulled together, um, God, God really uses that. People are hungry for just authentic friendship. And if you invite someone in and, you know, you kind of have to sweep the Legos to the side with your foot, no one's offended by that. They're just excited to have a friend and be invited in for a meal. And God's heart really is a heart of hospitality and, and reaching out to those who are around us in need of, in need of a little love, in need of a little care. Uh, tell us about uh, topic number 10, listening and speaking, holy whispers. One of the things that I began to learn as I uncluttered my schedule and finally had enough time to really um, to really practice my devotional life in a deeper way, to meet with the Lord, to sit and soak in Scripture, um, was that I started to be able to really... 
uh, hear from God in really powerful ways. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a divine voice from the heavens or a telephone call, but when we read Scripture on the fly, it's really hard to be able to, to learn those deep messages. But when we read it slowly, when we sit with God in prayer, suddenly our, our souls are able to be at rest and really start to receive from God, to, to notice those nuances in Scripture, and to really ponder difficult passages. And I found that my prayer life just really came back to life when I had the time to give it, when I had faith in my schedule, when I wasn't sitting in a really messy room. Um, God calls us to simplicity in part because we can't hear Him when our lives are, are so full and so noisy. I think of the passage from the book of First Kings where Elijah is just desperate to hear from God. He's really exhausted. He's been working so hard, and God takes him up on the mountain. And all of these natural disasters happen. So Scripture says there was a great fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And there was a mighty wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And there was an earthquake, a loud earth-shaking event, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then after all that, it says there was, there was a still voice. There was a quiet whisper, and that is how God speaks to Elijah. And often, God speaks to us in that same way when our lives are quiet, is where God can really begin to work in us and on us and through us. Now, Courtney, uh, tell us about Uncluttered Kids, Simple, Soulful Parenting. One of the best things about our uncluttered journey has been the difference that it's made for our kids. When I started writing this book, our we only had one, and he was about two years old now. We have three children, and um, they wake up on our Sabbath morning, and they say, Oh, good, it's Sabbath, because they know that's the day where they get uninterrupted attention from mom and dad, where we will be together as a family, where I won't be distracted by work, and my husband won't be on his phone, and... Um, to see them flourish under this newly uncluttered life has been such a gift for us. Uh, we've learned that kids don't need as many toys as we think they do. Uh, that, in fact, what they need is, is a lot of outside time and a lot of time to run and play. And when kids have fewer toys, they, they take better care of the ones they have, um, which is a really good lesson in today's disposable culture where we just buy more and throw it away. Um, but our kids are hungry for this type of life, too. And the great thing about children is, for the most part, they haven't learned all these terrible, cluttering habits that we adults have. And so they're able to really live into the freedom of an uncluttered life uh, more easily. And often we find that they're, they're teaching us about this beautiful virtue of Christian simplicity and generosity and hospitality. Um, just because that's part of who they are. And Courtney Ellis, speaking of generosity, uh, that's your next topic, free the finances. Uh, I want to hear about this. Yeah, one of the areas that I think is trickiest to unclutter and untangle is our financial life. Um, how do we live with uncluttered finances? And a lot of this goes back to that principle of God first. In Scripture, all over Scripture, we hear of people giving their first fruits to God, people giving um, their best to God. Uh, but often what we do is we look through our budget, we look through our finances, and we think, gosh, if I have anything left, I'll give that to God. You know, if there's anything left at the end of the month, at the end of the week, at the end of the year, God can have that. Um, but when we start with God, when we start with saying, God, like, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to tithe to you from from all that I have, and this is yours. Everything I have is yours. My, my husband is fond of saying, um, you know, everything we have is God. So tithing 10% is actually a really good deal. <laughs> we get to keep 90. That's pretty great. Um, but when we start with God and start with generosity and start with that tithe, it helps us to order the rest of our finances, in part because there's not as much left over, so we have to be wiser with what we have. Um, but also that first priority sets the rest of the priorities. Um, and something that we try to do as a family is to make sure our kids see us giving to God. It's really easy to just do online giving or write a check that they never see, but we want to teach them that generosity, too, and make sure that um, we're modeling that for them, that 
it goes in the offering in the offering plate on Sunday, or um, we tell them about how we're using our money. And when they earn money, when my son does chores, we talk about what does it look like to give the first percentage of that to God. Um, and a, even a even a six year old can understand that, right? You earned a dollar and ten cents goes to God because everything has come from God, and God has been generous with us. My guest has been Courtney Ellis. Her book, Uncluttered, uh, we covered everything, Courtney, except worship, the ultimate uncluttered act. But a uh, million thanks. I'm so glad we could get together, and congratulations on your book. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Courtney Ellis, uh, our guest. We've got a wrap-up, folks, right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We get together like this every weekend, and we're always so very, very pleased that uh, you take the time to, to join us. More after this. Thanks for joining us, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Rich Wilkerson Sr. was with us in the first segment uh, from his uh, church in Miami, talking about his book, I Choose Honor. And then we swung out to Southern California, caught up with Courtney Ellis, and talked about her book, Uncluttered, Free Your Space, Free Your Schedule, Free Your Soul. Uh, Speaking of books, please uh, check out the most recent book that I've written. It's called Character Carved in Stone. And uh, you'll read about those 12 benches at Trophy Point on the campus at West Point with a different word carved into the end of each bench. And then a chapter on each one of those words with some really good history lessons woven in there. I think you'll enjoy it. Amazon, always a wonderful way to order books. And we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. And stay tuned to those call letters all day long. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.